You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. Sovereign Self is about individual empowerment and freedom. In exploring this sovereign self, our discussions will encompass self-love, oneness, and diverse spiritual understandings as life is a journey of expansion which never ends. Join author Martin Neil Campbell, trainer and business facilitator Karen Murphy, and spiritual archaeologist Ron Mayer as their discussions help lead their listeners into an ever-expanding journey of peace, love, joy, and freedom to become who you desire and be your sovereign self. Welcome to Sovereign Self. I am your host, Martin Neil Campbell, and your two fabulously divine, and if I don't say so, absolutely miraculous and wondrous co-hosts are Karen Murphy and Ron Mayer. Say hello, folks. Hello, everybody. Welcome, folks. Yes, indeed. Welcome once again to Sovereign Self. We do very much appreciate you tuning in. On this program of Sovereign Self, we're going to be going back to a topic about death, really life in many ways, death and life. Quite a bit different than what we talked about a couple of programs ago. Actually going to be contemplating some of the aspects of the before and after life, because life is eternal. So we are alive and who we are before we come in to the physical body, and we are who we are after we leave the physical body. And a lot of people have experienced either death or near-death experiences, and, and those things have changed their lives because they've got a glimpse of what happens when you are out of the physical body and you're essentially dead or near death. I've been one of those people, so I have experienced that, and it, and it does give you a different perspective on death. It's interesting, it doesn't mean you want to die, but it, it certainly takes away a lot of the fear of dying. Mm-hmm. But in many cases, I believe, you know, I've read this a few places, that the body still does not want to die. So it tends to fight. I mean, the whole premise of your subconscious mind and ego and whatnot is to prevent you from dying. It is a lifesaver in many ways, in many instances. And of course, it quite often will fight you before you die. But that can be overcome as well, because there are many stories of people dying in absolute grace and with absolute calmness, and they know where they're going. So there are many ways you can approach death. One of the things that I always say is that we have been given free will, and we create our own reality. It was Neil Donald Walsh in a couple of his books that said, nothing occurs against your will. And I'm paraphrasing here. Not even your death, because you wouldn't die if you didn't wish to. Now, when we're coming in, if I do the before, coming into this life, the energy of who we are, our consciousness and, and our soul and our spirit that creates the, the body and brain. The body and brain is just a vessel to be used to experience this physical reality. When we obviously leave it behind and pass over and go back where we were, we drop away our physical body. And when you get into an after-death reality, then you also, in many ways, change in multiple aspects. And one of them is you drop away your thought that you're a mind, your thoughts in, in itself, the way they have been contained and sort of limited by physical reality and our brain. And you move into what some people have called the ultimate reality, and that is experienced. And we can get into that too, because while you're in a physical body, you can actually experience ultimate reality in many ways. But that's a 
becoming more aware, opening up, expanding your energies, all sorts of things come into play there. But that's getting a little off topic, so I'll go back to <laughs> life is eternal. And because it is eternal, we do come into this life and we leave this life, but we do not die. It is an expression that's been misused so often. It's something we decided to sort of examine uh, in this program and have a few chats about it. And before we get into that, there was something that Karen came up with and found that it, would you call it, Karen, a statement written by Henry Scott Holland yeah, it in the late 1800s. Poem. Yeah, it became a poem. There's a couple different versions, but yeah, a poem that he wrote. Okay. So with that, I'll let you read it because it has a lot of wisdom in it for the time and we can take it from there. Alrighty. Death is nothing at all. It does not count. I have only slipped away into the next room. Nothing has happened. Everything remains exactly as it was. I am I and you are you. And the old life that we lived so fondly together is untouched, unchanged. Whatever we were to each other, that we are still. Call me by the old familiar name. Speak of me in the easy way which you always used. Put no difference into your tone. Wear no forced air of solemnity or sorrow. Laugh as we always laughed at the little jokes that we enjoyed together. Play. Smile. Think of me. Pray for me. Let my name be ever the household word that it always was. Let it be spoken without an effort, without the ghost of a shadow upon it. Life means all that it ever meant. It is the same as it ever was. There is absolute and unbroken continuity. What is this death but a negligible accident? Why should I be out of mind because I am out of sight? I am but waiting for you for an interval, somewhere very near, just around the corner. All is well. Nothing is hurt. Nothing is lost. One brief moment and all will be as it was before. How we shall laugh at the trouble of parting when we meet again. Yes, that's beautiful. It's, and it's interesting because a lot of writings on death and after afterlife are passing over. One of the first things a lot of books say is you will, of course, and we've heard it many times and seen it in movies, you will be united with mm -hmm. all your loved ones and they will be there for you. Mm -hmm. It is another statement that gives comfort in the thought of passing over in that it is very comforting to know that everyone will be there, and I think people latch on to that an awful lot. Mm -hmm. I believe it to be true. And the reason I believe it to be true, I didn't experience that in my death experience, but I have a friend who died, and in going through a clairvoyant to talk to him, now that's one of the things he said. He was, he was surprised that it was true, and all his friends and relatives and whatnot were there. Yeah. And he just let me know that that actually happens. And I thought that was very good of him. And I've always remembered that. Mm -hmm. People say it a lot and they write about it a lot, but there I have someone who told me personally from the other side. Right. Yeah, it's a very good thing. What resonates with me and caught my eye in that particular uh, poem was oftentimes when friends of mine or even myself lose a loved one. Yes, for sure, there is sadness because you've lost someone. You, there's a void in your life, so your day-to-day -day in this realm has changed. However, I often go to the thought process of hold dear in your heart those memories, those wonderful times that you shared. And when I listened, when I was reading this poem, I was thinking about 
I'm still here, still speak of me, still have laughter, still think about the times we shared together. And that's often where I go when I'm consoling either myself or someone else who's lost a loved one. Yes, it's very true. Part of the thing there in, in giving people comfort is talking about that and, and saying how things, how you believe they are. And I know that in my book, Receiving the Gift We Give, the last two chapters are on death. And I had a person read the book and I asked them, I didn't have them, they bought it, they read it. They, I asked them what they liked or didn't like about the book. And they said, well, the one thing that struck me was the two chapters on death. So I never thought of it in that way and it gave me such comfort. I really appreciate that. And so in a lot of cases, a lot of people have been left to the old stories and old things about death. And a lot of it is, from scientists' point of view, is you're dead and gone. There's nothing left of you. Obviously, from a religious point of view, they have a different take. But even from a religious point of view, it moves you into, well, if you didn't follow us, you're going to go to hell or whatever, and all this kind of stuff comes in. None of that is, is the way it is. If you don't wish it to be, you create your reality. When you pass over, everyone will go through something slightly different in how they get to where they're going to be going. But I've read too many cases, and as I heard it, there will be people that you love and know that will be there to help you, to guide you, to let you get through it all and decide where you're going with it all. That seems to be a fairly constant. So all the other stories, just if you can, put them aside. It's not how it is. Martin, originally you had said that we are creative beings and never more will that be realized upon your death transition. Mm -hmm. Because whatever you believe will be your experience in death will be your immediate experience after you have actually physically died. So let's say you don't believe that there's an afterlife. So you experience your physical death and you might, your idea of what no physical life after death could very well be that you're in a coffin, you've been buried and that's it. Mm -hmm. So you will experience time in a coffin mm -hmm. until you have satisfied that idea enough that you will entertain another thought. Yes. Once you entertain another thought, and this thought could be, well, I wonder what, el what else there could possibly be, and it will lead to something else, and, and eventually your creative abilities will create the next step in your evolution. Right. Yes, and the same thing applies to people who hang around after they die, Right. is because they don't know what they're doing next. That's right. So, they don't know where they're going to go. They don't know what's going next. They haven't made up their mind. So it's important, what I'm trying to get at, it's yeah. important for you to develop a thorough understanding and an expanded idea of what could possibly happen after death so that when you do encounter the death experience, your death experience won't be as traumatic as it could possibly be if you were unprepared. That's right. Oh, yes. It's very important. And you use this simile, Ron, of taking off one coat and putting on another. Yes, yes. And go ahead on that. The whole concept of death. Originally, the angelic human form, the, the human form that we see today is a highly mutated form. The original form that we were given in the fifth dimension, we did not experience death. We actually ascended through various stages in a very, in one lifetime, in a very long series of moments or times in a lifetime. Um, and we actually brought the, the physical expression, we transcended it or transmuted it as we ascended the dimensional scales. 
So eventually we would actually transcend right out of the time matrix and take our physical bodies completely with us. Now, we as a species have not been able to do that for quite some time. After the fall of man, which was 550 million years ago, and we began, we tried to rebuild the human form in a series of incarnations and epochs on, on this planet. And 210,000 years ago, up until that point, when we began incarnating on the planet, 210,000 years ago, something drastic happened where we went from a 12-code pulse to a 10-code pulse. If you look at your toes and your fingers, you have 10 uh, fingers and 10 toes, when originally we had, used to have 12. Uh, so what we what actually happened is we went from a 12-strand DNA template to a 10-strand DNA template. 210,000 years ago was when the human race in this third seeding began to experience the concept of death. Up until then, we had the ability to be able to transcend and move completely out of physicality in the harmonic universal structures right out of the time matrix. And so we had been incarnating for almost 210,000 years and experiencing death. And this is why most people think that death is, is natural, because it, for, the, for the length of time that we've been experiencing death, we don't ever, at this point, we don't even remember a time when we, could, we didn't experience death. So it appears to be quite the natural thing. And death, as I've said, it is just, it's like taking your coat off. The life of the coat serves you well. Eventually, you know, it begins to fray and it basically begins to fall apart. You'll think nothing of going out to the store and buying a new coat in order to let the old one go and you'll, you'll retire the old one. And you won't think anything of letting go of the physical coat. But yet, when it comes to the physical body, there's a whole level of fear uh, of relinquishing the physical body that is, and as we said before, fear is a false evidence appearing real. Fear of death is, is a non sequitur. There is truly nothing to fear in death. And in one, in one instance, it was, I can't remember who had, whether it was Donald Walsh or someone else, but they basically stating that Death is so much easier a transition than actual birthing and coming in to physicality is. Yes. With a birthing process, it's extremely traumatic for the incoming soul. To physically come through, it's very, very painful. Whereas in nine times out of ten, the death experience can be a gentle transition. In many cases, many people experience death, for instance, in sleep state and, and once they relinquish the body, when the silver cord has been severed from the azure point in the center of the chest that connects you to your soul, once that is that is severed, and the soul will and then retract that silver cord, the physical body then begins the actual process of dying. You had also said something about earlier on, Martin, about the fact that the body has enjoyed mm -hmm. life with the connection to the soul the, the yes. to spirit and right. this is true so it has a it has a longing to want to continue this experience so if people are very connected to their egos and have not done a sufficient amount of soul searching and spiritual acceleration in their lives they may be experiencing the fear that the death of the the ego is is uh, 
is looking upon death as. And that can be a very frightening experience because, as I said, the physical body doesn't want to die. It's enjoyed tremendously this experience of life. Would like to continue it. Well, plus the ego and the subconscious is is afraid of change. So talk about a big change, it will fight it. That's right. But sorry, did you want to say something, Karen? No, go ahead. I might say something that's going to be longish. So did you want to go ahead first? I was just I was just thinking what what Ron was saying that how often have we seen the elderly on their what we call the deathbed yeah. going through pains and so on, and then from my experience. There is an overwhelming calmness and acceptance and almost a bit of a pleasure. And then they begin the dying, as we look at it in physical form, then begins consoling the living and talking about it's okay, I'm happy, I'm ready to move on. And oftentimes we also hear of loved ones that are passing, you hear of the relatives and friends around giving permission and oftentimes that's when you see them go. It's almost like a closure and they're ready. They're just helping us through that little channel. Mm. There are many people I know that have died that before they died, got a, a clear glimpse of what they were going to. Yeah. Clear vision, I should say. And, and that happens to a lot of people, I believe. Mm-hmm. What, what are, I just want to mention one more thing about the concept of dying. I, I have read a lot about the near-death experience, and one of the things that I find fascinating is the fact that once they've died and they're on the other side, it's just as physically orienting and real as this reality is here, in the sense that it is a three-dimensional reality plane. There'll be buildings, there'll be people, it will be a little lighter because you're transiting into a density above the one that we're in right now. And when I talk of densities, I'm talking dimensions. We're in density one right now, which which is dimensions one, two, and three. So when you actually die and the soul retracts that silver cord, the soul is housed in the second density, which is dimensions four, five, and six. So this dimension, it'll be just as real as this density here. It'll, as I said, it'll have houses, it'll have methods of, of transportation, and the, the odd thing is that it will feel very familiar because your soul is actually there having an experience in that second density. This is you're you're experiencing all of these densities at once. So when you actually die and you move into the second density, you will begin to remember, oh, I remember I used to live on this street over there, type of thing. You things will begin to come back to you because in the second density again, you've got three dimensions and so you'll have a three-dimensional reality field there but it will be a little bit lighter so it time will not be the same experience there neither will the dark fear levels will not be as traumatic as they are in this density although we're with the ascension that we're going through we're releasing a great deal of fear-based thinking just think of how fearful we were 30 to 40 years ago as to where we are today. So our fear levels in this density are not as toxic as they once were. So we're experiencing a greater degree of lightness. But here, when you die, you'll virtually go into the second density, which is where your, your soul has resided. But you've also got your oversoul, which resides in the third density, which is dimension seven, eight, nine. 
And as I said, you have experiences all the way up the densities. You're all you're in all of those platforms simultaneously all at once. What I guess what I'm trying to get at is once you die, you will look at the fear and your concept of death and think just like what this poem said, it's it's a non sequitur. None of our fears about death is, is real. True. Right. And I'll concur with that statement. And I wanted to go back to something you said earlier, that it's harder for the soul to come into the body than consciousness and to leave. And I'll, I'll agree with that because I've experienced both. And this is, I don't know if I've ever said this on the program before, but I remember coming into the body. <laughs> Certainly the first days I was in the body was most confusing. It was stressful because before I came into the physical universe, I was an energy being. I was still in a spot per se. But I could be anywhere I wished to be, but I was still me. I was still my own consciousness. I still recognized as this is me, if you know what I mean. Right. My thought processes, how I thought of things, didn't change. It was me. Although I could ask anything and think of anything and it would be shown to me, two things I wanted to say about that is I had to think of them first. And then I had to ask, sort of saying, what's that about? And then I'd be given the answer, which I called the knowing. But the thing about spiritual growth, when we talk about awareness and expansion, mm -hmm. the one thing in looking back on that that it taught me was I was a much more, not shallow, less aware being before I came into this life than I am now. Mm -hmm. Because what I asked and what I wanted to inquire about and what I got shown, because anything I asked I got shown, was it was very narrow and limited compared to what I would do now. <laughs> Interesting. And so you grow with it. But getting back to coming in, yes, I was confused because I thought I was still a being of energy and I could not understand. And there was the first day in my crib at home, there was a mobile, you know, one of those colorful things yeah. that spin above my head. Yeah. They moved it and I loved it. I loved the color. I loved the movement and everything about it. When they, my parents left and it wasn't moving anymore, I willed it to move. It didn't happen. And mm. that confused me. Why isn't it happening? It should move. And I got to realize after a while that I had a physical body and it took a while to get there. That whole realization and going through that, I could not do most of what I could do previously. And it was confusing me and causing me frustration. But on the other hand, when I died and had that experience, it was instant. There was nothing about the pain or any of the death brought forward. And, and I was very, I was me, but I was more in physical form. I could see my hands and I pictured myself still as a body, but it, it wasn't a body per se, but I could pictured myself that way. Yeah. And it was very easy and it was very comfortable. There was no anxiety or fears or anything. I did not all that got left behind in many ways. The difference was very interesting. So I agree with you that it's more stressful coming in than leaving. Mm -hmm. And it's easier to leave your fears after death quite easily, actually, <laughs> if you wish to. But as you said, I do believe that people can bring them with them. Yes, they can. And I didn't because I was just so fascinating and realized that I died. All my fears in life disappeared because, well, they were irrelevant. <laughs> that's, that's the way my mind went and they all became irrelevant, just like that. So, yeah. And it was interesting because as, as what Donald Walsh had said, you need to be very careful with what you believe. So if you die and you're holding on to the Christian belief that if you're a nasty soul that you're going to experience hell, fires, and damnation, and all of that, then 
upon death, you will experience hellfire and damnation until you have had enough of that experience that you decide to change and move towards a, a more enlightened experience. But the one thing that he did say that I found was fascinating is with our current understanding of what experiencing the fires of hell would all be about, the whole concept of being burned alive, for instance, seems to be extremely, excruciatingly painful. Mm. And yet it has been suggested by Donald Walsh's material that the pain that is associated with the idea of burning in hell, there is no pain involved. Right. And this could ultimately lead you to question your reality well i'm not feeling the pain and yet i'm in hell and there's fire everywhere and i'm on fire why am i not feeling the pain it could be the trigger point where you move away from that belief into a more appropriate belief yeah well and that of course comes from the narrow thinking we had in the past centuries that we were our physical selves yes yeah and they couldn't quite reconcile that when your body died and you passed on, you weren't, they couldn't quite reconcile you weren't your physical self anymore. So when you're not your physical self, you're essentially just thought and energy, how could fire hurt you? It wouldn't. Exactly. You don't have a body and nerve endings to skin to burn and all the rest of it. It just doesn't exist. That's why they've had stories of people with near death who went to what they said was looked like hell. But And you're right, that all of them said they felt no pain. And that's because there is no pain to feel. You don't have you, you don't, don't have, have a nervous system anymore. <laughs> you don't have a physical body that would yeah, be feeling can damage. The, the nerve cells aren't there in mm-hmm. the physical body, so because there's no physical body, right? You're simply you're simply an image of light. But that was also another thing that was in my earlier awakenings. That was always a concept I used to like to throw out to people. I would ask them, now, when you're talking about your body, do you say, "I have a body"? or I am a body. Mm. And 99 times out of 100, people would say, oh no, I have a body. And I would say, okay, well then, if you have a body, you could also say that about a coat. You are not a coat, but you have a coat. Yes. And that's how I would begin to introduce them to the fact that the the physical body is not who you are. It is something that you have. Mm-hmm. Karen? Well, I'm thinking, you know, when we when we talk about this in, in perspective of death, some of the comments that you've made about thought, as we as we've talked in many, many programs about how how much our thoughts can create our reality. Mm-hmm. So it's not too far divorced that after death, that same concept, that same belief occurs that your thoughts become your reality. It's true. Our physical bodies, as I've said earlier in the program, our physical bodies have suffered so much in the way of mutations that they're nowhere near the gems that they should be. And so ultimately, they're, because of the fact that they're, they're, they're damaged, the consciousness that is focused through the physical body is also physically limited. So that when you actually die, your awareness will expand exponentially. It'll be huge compared to what is capable in the physical body because the physical body acting as the lens is distorted. It's like looking through a glass. If the glass is all dirty. Yeah, but there's the the key. Mm. And when you, you are capable of expanding. Yes. 
a lot of people will take a long time to expand. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. So it's a capability, and that's that's one thing I guess we want to drum into people is that remember that you are capable of expanding beyond your wildest dreams. Oh, yeah. And if you put your mind towards that and say that's what you wish to do, then things will begin happening where you do, yeah. as opposed to being very limited and trying to remember being in a physical body. Well, I think too oftentimes, you know, when I think about – death a lot of times and myself included when there's a fear of death as you say ron false expectations appearing real i believe also that much of it has to do with not having experienced what you wanted to experience so when we talk about in our program self-sovereignty we talk about living from love and and you know living from grace and showing gratitude the more self-sovereign that we become in this in this reality, in this dimension, in this lifetime, I think the easier the passing is. Because yes. you're not living with woulda, shoulda, coulda, regrets, yes. not being there. And I think that's what we often talk about in many in, in almost ninety-nine percent of our shows is around how does one become more self-sovereign? Because the more self-sovereign you become, the less you have to fear. Because the less guilt and the less you feel like you're leaving a stone unturned, as it were. Yes. Does that make sense? It does indeed. And you're constantly dying. The moment you're born, you have a set amount of time on this planet and you're in the process of dying. So that, that if you could look at it that way, uh, death being the, that you've exhausted the entire time space that's been allotted for this particular life. And, and now you're going to be going back to a more expanded version of your of yourself, uh, which we call the soul. Right. Um, where was I going to go with that? There was something. Oh, well, I can't remember now. <laughs> <laughs> I get uh, those every once in a while. I love, you. I love it. My thoughts and what I was asking were very limited compared with, with what I'd ask now. Mm-hmm. Most of it. And I was, I don't remember it all. Obviously it was, it was, a, I don't know how long I was there, but for the, and I guess in thought process, there was no real time, but, for about the half hour, if I can put it that way, from a feeling point of view, before mm-hmm. I came through, I did have questions, knowing I was going to come through about this universe, and I got to see the entire universe and focus in on things I had questions on and show me answers to things and this and that, so I could look at it and understand it a bit more. And that's what I was focused on. I noted that the spiritual end wasn't nearly as advanced mm-hmm. as I am now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the, the spiritual questions were there, but they were very narrow and, and odd in a way. They weren't as focused as as I would make them now on, on multiple levels. So yes, you, you do, with each shift in and out of physical reality, expand a bit more, hopefully. I don't know that everyone does, but I hope that everyone does a bit. That would ultimately be the purpose of each and every life is to add, yeah. is to add to the add to the soul's experience all of these individuated experiences we call physical life in this yeah. this density. And so, well, and the thing there is that in becoming our sovereign self, and what we're trying to impart in this programs is that when you become more and more your sovereign self, you become a more aware and expanded being. And the more you can do that in this lifetime, which is why we believe it's so important, not only will it change life here on Earth, but it'll drastically change your life going, passing over into the next room, putting on the new coat, however you want to look at it. Exactly. That's very important. And when you think about it in terms of, you know, we've often talked about 
all of the the characteristics and keys and you know significant elements of moving to self sovereignty you may have in this lifetime mastered some and you know i think we've often talked about it's a journey and just when you think you've mastered something something else comes before you in this space of time that says whoa now i feel like i've taken two steps back let me start over again so i think to your point martin when we get to that point in our lives where we venture over to the other side depending upon where we are within all of the elements of self-mastery, is where we pick up. Yeah. One of the interesting things about life and death, and I'll throw this in again because of my my death experience, and let's just say I, I died. There was no doubt. It wasn't near death at all. I got hit by a truck at a high speed, and I was turned into mush. Like, there was literally no resurrection <laughs> there from a doctor or our medicine point of view. Well, you look really good considering. Thank you very much. <laughs> Except for that, no, no, just kidding. (laughs) One of the things I wanted to say there was that because it was a sheer accidental death, where I inadvertently stepped off the road while talking at the wrong point and then turned to look and see a truck 10 feet away (laughs) just barreling at 50 miles an hour at me, what I got told before I came back was I got asked if I wanted to, because had I completed everything I wished to in this life? And I said I had not. And because it was an accidental death of that sort, I got the chance to come back. Now, the only thing I'd say there is if it is not an accidental death, like old age or something like that, where your body's just breaking down and it's time for you to go, you don't get that same chance. But I think what it showed me and what I got told was that because it was a pure accidental single-person death, you know, like a piano falling on your head or something, you have the chance to come back. Right. But you don't if it's natural old age or what have you. Well, and I think what you said at the top of the show in your introduction, Martin, was really profound in that talking about death does not happen against your will. And I think that it's one of the things that over time, and as I think, as I become more expanded and more expansive, I think I see it a little bit differently. I would often talk about, you know, I understand the elderly dying, I understand this, but I don't understand children being afflicted with terminal illnesses. And when I put it in perspective, and I've given it a lot of thought over the years, and and as I've worked towards becoming more self-sovereign, when I think about what Neil Donald Walsh says with respect to death, nor anything happens against your will, you do have a choice. So I look at it in a different perspective. And one of the, the stories that comes to mind that I think I've shared with the two of you in the past, I'm not sure if I've ever shared on the show, was I had the privilege of being at a an event where the, the guest speaker was the father of the first uh, girl that was killed in Columbine. And how tragic that incident was for sure. But as I listened to the father's story, he was very clear about how his daughter at a very, very young age was very, very clear on when she was leaving this planet. Very, very clear on it. She she never anticipated living past a a certain year she was and he he spoke very openly about and she would talk to her cousins about it at you know the age of I think 12 13 14 I think she was close to 15 or 16 when she was shot and I remember my first instinct was this poor father and this poor child she was at the wrong place at the wrong time and yet there are no coincidences right so when I heard that story it was well, the tears were flowing, there was smiles at the same time. It was very surreal in understanding that this young girl was probably far more aware than 
I ever was in that moment to understand that she had a greater purpose, that's whatever that looked like. Yeah, that's interesting because it's also my understanding that all lives are basically planned. Right. And not to the degree that we would think, but definitely circumstances like you're going to be married to a certain person or you're going, you're going to choose the parents that you're going to be birthed through. And in some cases, as you know, Martin's experience and mine in particular, when you're birthed into this physical body, you can retain some of the experience of what it was prior to your birth. Mm-hmm. It, it's not common, but it can happen. For me, I distinctly remember that when I was about eight to 10 months old, I wasn't walking yet. I was still crawling on the floor. And I simply remember screaming in my head, asking the people around me, my, 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 fam- my immediate family, I can't remember who it was at the time, but why don't you hear me? Why don't you listen to me? Yes. And it wasn't so much that I was speaking English, because at that age, of course, I didn't know the language, but internally, what I was thinking, the thought patterns were very clear and understood, and I was completely frustrated that they, they couldn't understand what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. And upon reflection of that, it was like my ability for te- telepathy was something that, as a soul experience, it was a very profound and definitely something that was natural for me. Right. So that when I birthed in, the remembrance of that obviously was still with me. Mm-hmm. And I was expecting other people to telepath with me, and they weren't. Right. That's interesting. Uh, very interesting, because mine wasn't the telepathic part. Mine was as I said earlier, the changing from a energy sort of body to a physical body. Well, the other part there was, I remember being bathed in the sink. I was small enough to be bathed in the sink. You still are, Barton. Yeah, thanks. It's a pretty big sink, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe a sinkhole. Um, but, <laughs> but no, the one thing I remember about the, the incidences like that was they were, people would talk to me while they were bathing me. But I understood every word they said. Mm-hmm. Even though I couldn't speak at that time, I understood every word they said. And I can remember, I have a clear enough memory from being that young, that I remember the conversations and what, well, conversations, what they were saying to me. It's interesting that I'm pretty sure that as a baby, I wasn't the only one that did that. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that that was common for most people. They've just forgotten. But it's interesting the way we look on children as though they don't understand. The whole concept of telepathy is not based on language per se, but according to the freedom teachings, it's based on the base codes of matters, uh, which are called chelantic symbol codes, So we, which is understood on a universal level. So, you know, we think of Star Trek and being able to speak to an alien race, for instance, but I don't speak their language. Well, you don't need to understand their language if you're actively participating in chelantic transmission, the ability, which is something that the human race had. Remember in the Bible, there's that story about um, Babylon. The Tower of Babylon. When all of the races on the planet understood each other. And then after that incident, nobody could understand anybody. And according to the freedom teachings, there were certain chelantic codes that had been removed from our DNA during that episode that was the result of our of our losing that ability to be telepathic well it actually brings to mind if we think about i always think of kids in a sandbox as adults we seem to have we seem to create such difficulty around communication 
understanding one another, conversing in a respectful manner. And yet you put small children that don't know how to tie their shoes or speak a language can communicate and play in a sandbox. Yes. And share toys and interact and laugh and giggle. And yet there are no words spoken between them. And I find that incredibly fascinating. We often talked about it, about the innocence, but I think there's more to it than just the innocence of that. It's like, as a child, you don't have those barriers. Perhaps even though in my mind, I don't recall my childhood to any great extent, except that apparently I was the runny-nosed kid of East 24th Street. (laughs) But um, having said that, there is a vision in my mind that says, I do understand that young children playing converse and they never speak yeah mm-hmm. and i hear I'm, I'm thinking the human race hasn't lost that ability to be telepathic it is just simply dormant at this point right yeah. and you know we often think about you know when we talk about choices and you you make the choice to die which which kind of catapults from a show that we did a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about self-assisted suicide and things of that nature and then we talk about the choices that we have about the families we're born into and the experiences that we have, it causes me to think about oftentimes people will say, well, you know, if you had parented differently, your child would be like this. And yet we see families with two children grown up or brought into this world and raised identically. One turns out one way, one turns out another. Mm-hmm. So it just supports what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. When we come in, as you said, Bron and Karen, that when we come in and we choose our parents and we choose the life we come into, and our parents are a big part of it because whether you're born in the slums of India or you're born in a penthouse in New York makes a huge difference on choice. Right. And you choose where you come into, and you have certain things, I believe, that you desire to get, achieve or experience, I should say, in this life to expand and grow who you are. As they say, no one dies without their will behind it. And I think people all get to the stage where they're going, I've done a lot, and if not all, of what I needed to do, yep. or I came here to do what I was meant to do. Quite often we come here to help other souls gain experiences. Hence the small child dying, like 15-year-old who got shot in Columbine. Yeah. They came in and they knew, and she actually remembered that she was here to die in that event to give her parents a great gift. And it was to them, as you said, through how they were talking, it was a great gift. Exactly, yeah. We have all these things that happen, and yet we always seem to want to look at them negatively. But they're not negative. That's one of the things we always say, come from your heart, come from the center of love. Try and look on things as an experience and move on and move more positive. It's because everything we go through is to help us grow. Negativity we said it a lot, it's, it's just the di- dichotomy of the universe in, at the moment, is you have to have the negative in order to understand the positive. Mm-hmm. But so many people aren't taught that. We just don't teach people how to think and be aware and how to be critical thinkers. We're taught these stories that are right. so false, and yet we just won't let them go. Mm-hmm. Well, it forces us to, to face what is our belief, what is our faith, you know, what do we trust in, knowing of that, right? Well, that's why becoming the sovereign self is so important. You gain the awareness, you open up your consciousness, you think of things a little more in depth and question. Exactly, exactly. I was told this since whatever is that true. And a perfect example happened on the weekend between you and I, Ron, when we left the movie. Uh And I argued with you on that point. 
Yeah. Five minutes later, I gave in. Yes. <laughs> you know what? I didn't say it, but I was raised. It was sorry, folks. We we watched Captain America: Civil right. War. Yes. One of the things that is, is in my life is I grew up with comics and loved comic books. So I, I like the the whole Avengers and all those comic books and what the people did. They were heroes to me. Mm-hmm. So I was latched on to they were heroes. So when Vision came up with the concept that maybe you're causing it and you're not quite you know what you think you are, I had a hard time letting that go because they were the heroes to me all my life. And I didn't want to let it go. But it, I don't think it took more than five, ten minutes before I gave in and I sort of semi-explained. But that was the other part of it I never got into, was that I wasn't letting go that they were heroes. I didn't go to what you fear you attract or what you create you attract. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't want to let that go because they were my hero. There's things you learn in life and there's things you stick with that sometimes you just have to let go of. Which is part of what we've talked about in many past shows about some of the rules that we are taught. Mm -hmm. This is right, this is wrong, this is black, this is white, you should do this, you shouldn't do that. And that becomes embedded in everything we are. And, you know, Martin, to your point when you said, you know, you had, because you had such a love of the comics and they became your heroes, it's not like that for anyone else. We have icons that we, you know, look up to. Yeah, and none are perfect. Exactly. Unless unless you look up to God. (laughs) Yes. And I mean perfect in the sense that they all have their their foibles and fall. Um, It's all learning experiences. I should say everyone and everything is perfect. It's just what you do with it that helps you along the path or doesn't help you along the path. So I take that back. (laughs) And and actually, Martin, I think it's a good point that you actually said that because, again, when we think of perfect, we look to the encyclopedia or whatever it is that actually says, here is the definition of perfect. Right. And And you have to do everything right all the time and everything's fancy and turns out wonderful. Right. And And that's not really perfection, is it? And perfection also implies that you're complete, and there is no such thing as being complete. Even God continues to learn through his experience through us. Right. It's always learning going on. There is always expanding. It's a forever journey in the heart, is what I always always constantly say. So we are perfect in our imperfections. Exactly. Well, I always say, someone said to me once, you just think you're perfect. And I said, yes, Mm -hmm. perfectly imperfect. (laughs) <laughs> exactly so, and they all looked at me and i went well think about it <laughs> well and that's why we often talk about self-forgiveness right or yep. self-acceptance and moving forward and doing that reflection piece that says okay and, and we've we've talked about this off and on about what does forgiveness mean and is forgiving for the other person or is forgiving for you and what does forgiving actually mean so it all comes into play as we talk about moving towards self-sovereignty and going into that next level. So when we think about our life here and moving into death, what is it we've learned? What is it we've expanded upon? To your point, Martin, if you could go back in time, which I know you, you don't want to, but the idea would be you would ask different questions now as you come back into this life again or the next life again. No, I won't digress. There's a whole other topic there on going back in time, which there is a there is you can go back in time right. in certain yeah. ways, but yes. no, I won't go there. Well, Mark, there is a question. On your experience where you were hit by that truck mm-hmm. and you came back, 
what was your next divination? You knew you were dead. Right. Then what was the next point? What happened after that? How did you come back? Where did you come back? At what point? Oh, okay. Well, I'll give a short story. I went through a tunnel which literally showed me my entire life. Okay. And I ended up in a sphere of light, the only way I can put it. I will call them elders, but there was a group of people around this sphere of light. And they were all light themselves. And they said to me, you have a chance here to go back. Have you completed everything in your life you wish to have completed? And they gave me very little time to say yes or no. And if it was yes, I've completed and I would move on or no, and I would go back. They didn't explain how. So when I was thinking about it, and it was about three seconds, he said, you have to answer or you move on. And I said, no, I hadn't finished. And I came back. And what happened was I was with a friend and her and I were chatting. I took the step off the road, realized I didn't look turned and looked and there was this truck right there barreling down the curb at me, a big Mack truck, like not just a pickup at about 50 miles an hour and, and hit me a few seconds later. There was no way I could step back off the sidewalk. I tried, but I didn't make it. So I was crushed by that truck completely. When I came back, I would came back one and a half seconds or thereabouts before I stepped off the sidewalk. <laughs> so I didn't have the chance to step off the sidewalk and get by the truck. I was right at the edge of the sidewalk and the truck whizzed by. And then I realized what happened, and all the memories flooded back into me of what just occurred. And even my friend, who we were kind of mentally connected all the time, and what she did at that moment is she grabbed my shoulder, and she said, but you stepped off the sidewalk. <laughs> and it just she just was dumbfounded, because she remembered it as well. And that's when it all came back to me, and I, I knew I had to tell her what happened immediately, because it was starting to fade like a dream already. And so I just, for 20 minutes, laid it all out of what happened, and I've never forgotten it. Time loop. Mm. Yeah. Well, and if I may, folks, um, for those of you that are listening, this story is recounted in much more detail and has a, a start to it and a amazing what are the next steps and what does it look like in Martin's book, yeah, uh, Receiving the Gift We Give, an amazing read that, uh, as you were talking about the story, Martin, I, I could picture it as I read it in the book. And there's there's so much to it, the the conversation with, with your friend beforehand and actually what went through your head afterwards and where it led you to, which in many ways is the precipice for this show that Martin has put together that Ron and I get the benefit of being a part of and you guys get to enjoy with us. Now, the one thing that I wanted to say, apparently these types of experiences are quite common. According to Carter, I know many Carter, people. Carter, yep. Walsh, yes. However, what is uncommon is most people will not remember them, whereas Martin does have memory of his. And, and well, that's key. I, I have no clue. Like when I listen to some of the things that, that both the two of you have spoken of, of of things you've gone through in your lives and what you remember, what you recall, yeah. I have in my mind in this moment, I don't have that. You don't have memory recall of it. I don't have memory recall, but I have significant, the more that I've sort of mentored under the two of you and gone through my own research and, and learnings, I'm finding that there's a lot of things in my life that were actually signals. Yes. Just things that I didn't realize. And oftentimes, Martin and I will actually share a conversation and, and it'll trigger something in me. And I'll think, 
oh goodness, I don't think I ever remembered that. But now that we're talking about it, this brings a whole new thing to light. It's almost like a different lifetime, but I don't experience it the same way that you guys have spoken of it. Talking about certain things, and I always call it like smelling apple pie or the odor of it. It brings back a lot of memories of things. But when you talk about things, you can trigger a certain memories that come up. Oh my God, I forgot all about that. I forgot completely and, about it. Yeah. And that's why the being with people of like mind and talking about these things is important because it can trigger memories, trigger your bringing it out again, being more aware and conscious of what happened to you in, uh, in your life because it's all still in there. Right. <laughs> And we're just taught not to think about it anymore because it's unimportant because we're not putting it in a different context. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, I was just going to say that it's interesting. You're right. Most people forget those events. And I believe, truly, I would have forgotten mine as well if it wasn't for my friend grabbing my shoulder and saying, but you stepped off the sidewalk. <laughs> yeah, you were <laughs> forced that, to recollect it right away. Oh, you're right. And then it all came back in. If she didn't say that, it would have faded in literally five seconds. Had That's you been alone, you mean, right? Had mm -hmm. you been alone. Yes, exactly. But, but see, here, here's my thought process around that, Martin. You weren't meant to be alone because you no, were exactly. meant to remember it so that you could share it with us. Mm -hmm. But what I find unusual is that usually these experiences are individuated. You're alone when you're doing them. No other people usually are part of the time loop. And in this case, she was. This yeah, she, is something also that was very unusual about that whole experience. We'll talk about telepathy. I said our minds were so well connected. We could finish sentences for each other. We knew what each other was thinking. As I said with the blue, I'd look at something that was a lovely blue, and she just turned to me and goes, yes, it is a lovely blue, isn't it? But I never said a word. Like Things like that happened all the time. Right. Yeah. So I had, we were so connected that, had she, that she got had, it. I had that type of relationship with uh, another friend of mine, and we were very much like that. We would spend a lot of time traveling to the states and, and back to Toronto. And during those during those travels, there would be huge numbers of incidences where we wouldn't have to talk, and we know what the other one was thinking. Oh yeah, those are relationships that are obviously purposely brought in. There's no coincidence, but I think they're very special relationships in many ways. What they yes. are, those are relationships where you have allowed to share an intimacy level that you don't normally share with other people. Mm -hmm. Exactly. There's a whole other topic about allowing ourselves to be vulnerable and what that can lead to. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I think a key part in that, I mean, it, you know, correct me if you're wrong in your instance, but I'm pretty sure it isn't. Is that I dearly love this person. I, I thought the world of them. Yes. And so it, that had that was there first before that all started happening. Yes. Um, so love was a cornerstone in it. Speaking of love, that does bring us to the end of the program. And thank you all for listening. So who would like to sum up and go first for the end of the program? Karen? I have nothing to sum up other than I'm very, very grateful to all of our listeners for joining us each and every week and listening to our shows because you are the heart of what we do. And for that, and I, can, I think I can speak for all three of us, we are truly grateful that you tune in and listen to us. And we'd love to hear from you, love to hear your thoughts. Thank you for letting us join you each and every week. And for those of you who are afraid of death, I would ask that you feel the fear and begin to research death. Death is not something to be afraid of. Death is a, is a joyful release 
of moving from one reality into the next, as one person says, moving from one room into the next. Yes. And so preparing for that inevitable moment can only increase the level of joy you will experience once you pass through that door. Yes. Having had the blessing of dying and coming back, that you can let go of all the worries and fears you have immediately upon passing over. If you begin thinking of passing over in those terms, that you'll, your loved ones will be there, you can let go of all the fears and things you have, and they no longer have to hold you anymore. That even if you just picture that when it happens and just let it go, it will happen. It's important to keep those things in mind and keep concentrating on them. But as Ron says, to research, ingrain it into yourself so that when you do pass over, you are prepared for it. Plus, don't forget that, as we said earlier, no one dies without themselves willing it. So every death is serving a purpose, and every death is a gift to each of us. Try and find the gift in someone's passing. Treasure them and remember them. Truly look on them as the gift they are. And as we always say, keep listening, because one of the better ways to do it is to become your sovereign self. And don't forget to go on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Sovereign Self. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to talk to you. Mm-hmm. So thank you once again and have a fabulous week. Yes, have a wonderful week, everyone. Have an amazing week, folks. Thank you for listening to The Sovereign Self. We will be back with another show that will celebrate the beauty and perseverance of you and your sovereign self. If you would like more information or to send questions to Martin, Karen or Ron, please go to their Facebook page, www.facebook.com forward slash sovereign self. See you next week.